Hey, my name is Timothy Pig, lead pastor of Fellowship Church. I want to thank you for listening to Text Driven Podcast. Today, you are listening to one of our weekend messages at Fellowship Church. While we hope that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus, we want to urge you to be part of a local church in your area. This sermon is certainly not a substitute for the encouragement you will receive from going to a local church. If you are living in Southwest Florida, we would love for you to visit us here at Fellowship Church. To find out times and locations, visit our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. Amen. At this time, uh, all of our kids uh, up to the third grade are dismissed for Kids Church. Go over ahead and head with Miss Kim and can head to Kids Church this morning and have a good time. Parents, just a reminder, uh, those are still your children and you have to pick them up at the end of church, okay? Um, this is not free babysitting, um, but you're going to have to pick up your kids after church, and uh, they'll have a good time. Let me just share a quick announcement with you. Tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to be at Crossroads Baptist Church in Fort Myers. Uh, this evening at 6 p.m., we're going to have a revival service. Uh, we are partnering together with six other local churches that are all going to gather at Crossroads, and we're going to hear uh, a word from God, but also have a time of prayer and a time of praise and worship. So be there tonight at 6 p.m. We want over 100 of our members to be at Crossroads this evening. So I shared the announcement in Ave Maria this morning. I share it with you. In order for 100 of us to get there, that means some of you guys going to have to join us tonight at uh, Crossroads Baptist Church for Revive Us Again. Our guest preacher tonight is actually with us this morning. He is the executive director of the Conservative Baptist Network as well as uh, the assistant professor of preaching at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. We call him Scott Coulter. He was with us for our Great Commission weekend. He's sitting right up here. His wife just took their son Sheridan to Kids Church. But would you make the uh, Scott, Dr. Scott Coulter, welcome this morning as our special guest this morning. Would you welcome him today? And then this is his lovely wife, Sherea, uh, and we have been friends with them for uh, many years since our time in college together. Uh, Sherea was not my biggest fan until just a few years ago, and we are so thankful that she has finally come around and repented of her sins of uh, not being loving and forgiving to people that mean so much to her husband, okay? Uh, take your Bible this morning and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me ask you a question. What is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? Is it singing a hymn? Is that biblical worship? When you think about the old hymns of the church, because he lives, how great thou art, to God be the glory, there's power in the blood, what can wash away my sins? Are these the songs that come to mind when you think about worship. Maybe for you it's more of a contemporary setting. There's an entire genre of music called praise and worship. And you think about what our service is. Maybe a song by Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or Elevation. And you think about those groups and the stuff you hear on the radio. And that is what worship is to you. When you're in your car and the song comes on and you sing at the top of your lungs, that is worship. What is biblical worship? Is it coming to church? 
is coming to church biblical worship. We call our gathering this morning a worship service. But is that all that worship is? Just the gathering of the church together to exalt the name of Jesus. What is biblical worship? Is it praying? Is it bowing your head at your meal or in a service like this and spending some time talking to God? Is that what worship is? Is worship listening to a sermon? Is that biblical worship? How do we know if we are worshiping God rightly? How do we know if our singing is worship or not? How do we know if coming to church this morning is an act of worship? Like so many things, we have convoluted the definition of worship, haven't we? We've taken the definition of worship and our culture has defined it, so we've turned it upside down and we really don't know what it means to worship God. We think it's singing. We think it's praying. We think it's coming to church. Certainly all of those things are incorporated in worship, but is that what really the Bible means? Does the Bible, when it talks about worship, does it simply mean you came here this morning, you sat down, you listened, and then you stop worshiping the moment you leave? I want to give you a definition of worship this morning. Worship, biblical worship, is the laying down of me in order to love God with all my life. Worship is the laying aside of me in order to love God with all my life. Worship is the laying aside of you in order to love God with all your life. Does that include coming to church? Yes. Does it include singing? Yes. Does it include praying and listening to sermons? Yes. Worship is the laying aside of ourselves to love God with all our lives. We live in an upside down world. The family is upside down. The home is upside down. Marriage is upside down. Politics are upside down, finances are upside down, housing is upside down. Everywhere you turn, it is upside down. It is almost as if somebody took a bag of uh, Legos and put them in there and shook them all up and then poured them out on a table and said, this is normal, this is life. Makes no sense. It's chaotic. And the Corinthian church is the exact same way. They were upside down in their understanding of unity, and they were disunified. There was division everywhere. They were upside down in their understanding of holiness, that God had set them apart for his work and for his ministry, and now they're upside down when it comes to worship. What I want to do over these next several weeks is in 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10, I want to unpack for you biblical worship. So take your Bible, open with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in the honor of reading of God's Word, stand with me as we look at the first 23 verses this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Paul writes, 
am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Whoever serves as a soldier, who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. We have sown spiritual things among you. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this on my own will, I have my reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so not to make full use of my right in the gospel? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word this morning, open up our hearts, our minds to hear from you. God, as we take our ear, we put it to the text to listen to you speak. Father, we pray that he who has an ear, let him hear. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. 
Paul's argument this morning can be summed up very easily in this sentence. We must lay aside our rights to fulfill our responsibilities. We must lay aside our rights to fulfill our responsibilities. Let me give you some historical context of what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is the pastor of the church of Corinth. He planted that church. He is responsible for their spiritual maturity, and he's writing back to them. And there's a group in the congregation that views Paul as their hireling. What I mean by that is they believe Paul works for them. They believe that they have the responsibility and the authority to tell Paul to do whatever they want Paul to do. They sit there and they flex their muscles towards Paul and they bend Paul. They think they should be able to bend Paul to whatever the wishes they desire to have accomplished. You ever been in a church like that? You ever been in a church where a group of people thought that they had the authority to tell the pastor what to do? That they treated the pastor as if he worked for them and whatever they wanted done in the church was what happened? You ever been in a church like that? You probably have. This is what's happening in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is full of some people that, work, that are working from the perspective that Paul works for them and they must, uh, Paul must do whatever they say. You can just imagine it, can't you? Paul's first day at the church of Corinth. He walks in and he has a little bit different music than what the congregation was used to. The congregation was used to opening up the hymnal and singing out of the hymnal, and the new pastor, Paul, brings a person with a guitar on stage. And he gets behind a microphone with a guitar, and he starts playing songs. And after the service, there's a group of people that walk up to him and say, Pastor, this is a church service, not an Elvis Presley concert. Now, I said Elvis Presley because you probably know what the age was of the people that came up to him. And they were mad. And they were furious. Because the new pastor had changed their music. And they looked at him and they said, Pastor, if you don't change, we're going to leave the church. I can almost imagine Paul sitting there thinking, I wish you would. But if you know these people well enough, you know they normally don't come through on their promise. And they stay in that church. And instead of leaving, what do they do? They vote with their money. They want the music changed, so they stop giving. And they hurt the congregation. And then the pastor has to decide, am I going to do what they want me to do? Or am I going to follow what God's calling me to do? This is where Paul is in Corinth. They are unwilling to submit under Paul's authority. They question his authority. And Paul teaches them that they have a responsibility to provide for him as a pastor. And the way Paul argues for their responsibility is by establishing his position. He tells us his position in verse number one. Look at what it says. Am I not free? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. Paul establishes his position by first telling us about his position in Christ. He says, am I not free? Paul says, look, I'm just like you. I've been set free from the bondage of sin. I have, uh, by the grace of God, the chains of sin have been broken in my life, and I am a free man. And while he's asking that question, he is particularly pointing at the congregation and he's saying to them, if I have been set free from sin, why are you stuffing me into the jail cell of your opinions in the church? If God has marked me as a free man, then why am I in bondage to you? That's his argument. Paul says, my position in Christ is one of someone who is Free from sin. That the chains of sin, the plagues of addiction, the anger that used to well up within him that led him to persecute the church, all of that has been exchanged and done away with and forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus. He says, am I not free? He tells him about his position in Christ. But then in verse 1, he also tells him about his purpose in the church. He says, am I not An apostle. Am I not an apostle? Uh, Paul was evidently considered a second-rate preacher. Uh, Paul wasn't viewed with the same gravitas as the other apostles. They would see Peter and they would say, well, if Peter wants to do it, that's fine. Peter's an apostle. But who are you, Paul? You're not that important. And Paul says, am I not an apostle? Do I not have a a purpose in the church? And he tells them why he's an apostle. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, have I not seen Jesus? You see, the church was saying, I I trust Peter because Peter was with Jesus. But Paul, I, I don't follow you. You have no authority over my life, Paul, because you didn't see Jesus. And Paul says, yes, I did. You can go back and read it in Acts chapter 9. Paul was on the road to Damascus persecuting the church. And the Bible says a great light shone from heaven and it knocked Paul off his steed and it fell on his face. And he heard a voice from heaven that says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And at that moment, the Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, gave his life to Jesus. And he was struck blind. He was led away, Galatians tells us, into a desert where for three years he met with Jesus who taught him the word of God. Paul says, I have a purpose in this church. I have a position in Christ. Then he also says, look at the productivity in the congregation. Look what he says, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Here's the productivity. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Verse 2, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul says, have you forgotten how far you've come in your walk with Christ? Are you saying, Corinth, that all the work I have poured into you was in vain and it means nothing? 
Are you saying that the the late night phone calls? Are you saying that the funeral services? Are you saying that the lunches? Are you saying that the early morning counseling sessions and the late night counseling sessions? Are you saying that that means nothing? Do you not see how far you've come in Christ? Paul says, you're evidence that I'm your pastor. You're evidence by your life that God has worked within you and he's changed you. So Paul establishes his position, his position in Christ, his purpose in the church, his productivity in the congregation. But then he explains the church's responsibility to provide. And the way he does that is by showing, he tells the Corinthian church, he says, I have these rights, I have these uh, authorities as an apostle. And one of those authorities is that you provide for me. One of those authorities is that you care for me. One of those authorities is that you make sure that I have food on the table is what Paul's saying. And he uses an illustration from uh, society that they would know very well and it would make sense to them. Look at what he says beginning in verse 4. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? See, they're looking at Paul and they're saying, Paul, unless you do what we tell you to do, we're not going to pay you and you're not going to have any food. And Paul says, do I not have the right to eat and drink? Do I not have the same rights that the rest of the apostles have, like Cephas and the others? And then look at what he says. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And then verse 7, he gives his illustration. He gives the illustration of a soldier, the illustration of a farmer, and the illustration of a shepherd. He says in verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Let me ask you, the brave men and women who fight in our military, who defend our faith, who stand up for freedom, who go to war for us, when they sign on the dotted line, do they have to have a big retirement in their bank account to be able to pay for their time of service? No. They sacrifice their life. They lay their, down, they lay their life down for the sake of their country. Why? Because they know that the country has a responsibility through proper taxation to care for them. We understand this, don't we? That a soldier doesn't pay his own expenses. But what about a farmer? The farmer not live off of the produce of his farm? No farmer plants a a, a seed into the ground and cultivates it and waters it and cares for it. Then when it grows and it produces uh, fruit, does he look and say, you know what, I'm going to give it all away? No, he takes some of it for himself so that he may live before he gives off in the marketplace to everybody else. Does not the farmer live off of the labor of his farm? We would all say, yes. What about the shepherd? Does not the shepherd enjoy the benefits of being a shepherd and having the fresh milk from the lambs that that he can drink and that refreshes him, that he uses in, in his daily life? Certainly. 
He doesn't give away all of his resources. No, the work that he does, he enjoys the benefit of that. So Paul gives this illustration from culture. And every single person in the Corinthian church would say this. Yes, you're right, Paul. The soldier is paid to fight by us. Yes, Paul, you're right. The farmer lives off of the labor of his farming. Yes, Paul, you're exactly right. The shepherd lives daily off of the shepherding that he does. But you, Paul, you're not a soldier. You're not a farmer. And you're not a shepherd. You're our pastor. And because you're our pastor, this doesn't apply to you. He says, yes, that might be what happens in culture, but that's not what happens in the church. Isn't it sad when the culture understands at times biblical principles more than the church does? Isn't it sad that sometimes the culture shows more of love than the church does? So Paul moves his argument from society and culture to now scripture. He says, fine. If you won't follow the principles God put in culture and society, then you need to follow the principles God put in Scripture. Look at what he says. Look with me in verse 8. Do I say these things out of human authority? Does not the, what's the next word, church? Law, Law say this. For it is what, church? written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He says, look, there's an authority higher than culture and society, and that authority is Scripture. And God's Word says that if a man labors, he should live off of the fruit of his labor. You don't muzzle the ox. When the ox is treading on the threshing floor, you do not take the grain and not allow the ox to eat it. Because if you don't allow the ox to eat as he's doing that, he's going to become weak and he will not be productive any longer. No, you allow him to enjoy the benefits of treading the wheat. Now, did that verse show up in the law of Moses? In order to teach us how to treat animals? No. That verse is in there to teach us how to treat pastors. That's what the passage says. He says in verse 10, Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plower should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. He says the reason why that's there is to show that the pastor, as he gives himself into the congregation, that the fruit of that takes care of his life. The church has a responsibility to care and provide for their pastor. Now let me talk to you practically for just a moment. You're probably sitting there thinking, Oh, great, at the end of the service, Pastor Tim's going to take up a special offering for a raise. That's not the case. There are two subjects that pastors despise preaching about. Divorce and money. And in the last four weeks, we've dealt with both of them. But as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we've got to deal with these difficult passages. 
So let me talk to you for just a second. As your lead pastor, I think I can speak on behalf of our entire pastoral staff when I say this. Thank you. Thank you. Why? Because you're a generous church. And there has never been a time that anybody on our pastoral staff has been in need that you haven't provided for. And we are blessed by your generosity. We're not perfect as pastors in any way. We do things that's wrong. We say things that are wrong. We might not do everything you like. But at the end of the day, you understand you're not following a man. You follow God. And you remain faithful to care for your pastors. And I just want to say, on behalf of our pastoral staff, Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for being a church that is right side up when it comes to worshiping biblically in the area of giving. Because did you know that we have men who serve as pastors of our church that do not receive one dime of a paycheck? Do they have the right to say, pay me? Oh, yeah. They have every right to come forward and say, I'm a pastor of this church. Based on 1 Corinthians 9, you have an obligation to take care of me. But you know what they've done to their rights? They set them aside in order to get the gospel to more places. You know what we do as a response congregation to that? That if there's ever a pastor in need, we meet that need. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it's a medical bill. It doesn't matter if it's a housing bill. Doesn't matter if it's uh, a family matter or a personal matter or a public matter. We meet their needs. You see, the Corinthian church failed to lay aside their money to fulfill their responsibility of caring for people, specifically their pastors. So the first thing we see in our passage this morning is the church has a responsibility to provide for their pastors. But then secondly, we see that pastors have a responsibility to preach the word. Look at what the passage says. Pick up the story with me. As we walk through this, look at what he says in verse number 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altars share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those, watch the language here, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not, what? Preach. 
See, Paul is saying, look, I don't have to worry about my physical needs. All I've got to worry about is my responsibility to preach the gospel. Pastors need to be more concerned with fulfilling their calling of preaching than filling their stomach with food. And Paul says that his main role, his main responsibility is to preach the word. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul looks at the pastor of Ephesus, his friend Timothy, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God before the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the judge, the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Right before the apostle Paul dies, he writes to a pastor and he says, Pastor, before you do anything else, you must preach the word. In Acts chapter 6, when the early pastors were being taken away from the service of ministry to serve tables, the apostles came together and they said, if we give up anything, it will not be the giving up of prayer and preaching. Preach the word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul says that he gave to the church, the Lord has given to the church pastors for the purpose of equipping the saints. The responsibility of a pastor, first and foremost, is to stand with an open Bible and preach to his congregation the riches of God's word so that they can follow Jesus. That's the most important thing our pastors do. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, we got a lot of pastors, but you do all the preaching. Well, I'll be honest with you. I have no problem taking a vacation to Disney World if you want to hear more of the pastors. But it doesn't bother me one bit. But preaching is not just what happens on Sunday morning. Preaching is what happens when, after service, a pastor pulls you aside and says, can I share with you what God's taught me in my devotions? Preaching is what happens when he sends you that email and he asks you how you're doing and he shares with you God's word. Preaching is what happens when you get that text message encouraging you with a scripture passage. Pastors are to share the word with their people at all times. What happens in our FC groups each and every week, a pastor opening the word and sharing it. That's his number one obligation, preach the word. Then he also shares with us the horror that he asked to come upon himself if he doesn't. Look at what the Bible says in verse 16. Paul says, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Watch this language. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The term woe means, he says, God, bring horror and terror upon my life if I don't preach. Paul says, I, I, if I don't preach the gospel, God, would you bring my life to disaster? Why would he say that? Because in the next verse, he tells us that he understands where his assignment came from. Look at what verse 6, 17 says. He says, for I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. See, Paul understands that when he was called by God, God gave him the responsibility of preaching the word to the congregation. 
Paul says, I am terrified that one day I'll stand before God and God's going to ask him how he did as a pastor. And Paul said, the only answer the father wants to hear when that happens is I was faithful to preach the word because it's been given to him by the king. I'm concerned that there are pastors in our world today that when they stand before God and give an account before the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd's going to ask them to give an account and they're going to say, did you see my pay package? It was really good. Did you see my congregation size? It was great. Did you see the car I had? Did you see the life I lived? Did you see all these things? And Jesus is going to look at him and he says, but were you faithful to preach? See, the number one obligation of a pastor is to preach the word. Why? So that whether if they're a Jew or a Gentile, whether they're rich or poor, strong or weak, the gospel would be made known. Paul says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. Why? So that I might win the Jew. To the one out of the law, I became out of the law so that I might win them out of the law. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. To the strong, I became strong so that I might win the strong. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul had every right to have the church pay his salary. And the church had the responsibility to do so. But Paul at the end of the day said, you know what? I don't worry about money. I worry about the mission God called me to do. In our church, we're blessed to have pastors who don't care about the money, but care about the mission of reaching the nations for Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed.